0: Hello and welcome to Runway Girl Network in Conversation, a deep dive into aviation and the passenger experience. I'm RGN Deputy Editor John Walton, and today I'm in conversation with Michelle Robson of premium travel blogger Turn Left for Less, and a former air traffic controller, no less. This episode we're talking about what's new in business class, with a, with a focus on the UK market. But first, thanks to our sponsor. In Conversation is brought to you by Bolteron, a Simona company, purveyor of high-performance thermoplastics for tomorrow's aircraft interiors. Specializing in an extensive range of film and sheet products tailored to the requirements of the aerospace industry, Bolteron is dedicated to providing consistent, high-quality materials, advanced performance solutions, and meeting evolving trends in aircraft interior design. Learn more at BOLTARON.com. Now, Michelle, welcome to the podcast. What an interesting time it is in the pointy end of the plane.
1: It certainly is. There's a lot going on at the moment. And uh, thanks for having me on. Oh, not at all.
0: Um, So you write a lot about business class. Um, What do you think about where we are in the industry at the moment? Is business class in a position of strength? Is it being challenged by premium economy? Uh, Does the continuing uh, long drawn out tea time of the soul for first class uh, affect what airlines are doing with business class what's your what's your overall perspective
1: I think it's quite interesting at the moment there's been quite a few articles with people saying that business class is uh, pretty much on the way out because of premium economy but I think that's really about um, the corporate end of the markets which people tend to focus on obviously there's a huge amount of money there Um, and nowadays it's very rare unless you're very senior to actually get anything other than premium economy Um, I think the airlines have previously focused on corporate customers a lot more but now they're having to think differently whereas the the area of growth is more on the leisure side um, i think with this they need to start looking at uh, how leisure travellers think rather than just focusing on the corporate side personally i'm i'm more of a leisure traveller though kind of with the blog it, it combines both but they either have to be one over on price which we are actually seeing some really interesting fares at the moment that are you know pretty much premium economy prices Or you have to have a superior product. But uh, a lot of places like British Airways perhaps uh, are going more for the the cheaper end to try and win win the leisure travellers over rather than necessarily investing in the product.
0: Yeah, I, I find that really interesting and particularly in the context of BA having what isn't, let's say, the most competitive product out there in terms of their hard seating product either.
1: Yeah, I think British Airways, if you look at some of the fares at the moment, they're really, really quite astonishing. And they're obviously going after leisure travellers. So you're seeing fares of around £1,200, £1,300 return in business class to the US. But there's six month advance fares, which means, you know, that's not going to be a corporate traveller, but they are trying to win back their Uh, leisure customers because um, it's quite interesting on the blog I obviously get a lot of feedback and comments and one of the most consistent one is from British Airways uh, travelers with status and nearly all of them will say once they have gained their status they will take their business elsewhere in one world because of the lack of a good product on board but obviously if the the price is right then you're going to go back to British Airways and that's what they're banking on.
0: Yeah. And I'm I'm finding it interesting that a lot of these fares, particularly the, I guess, the super advanced fares that are six months out, they're very restricted on uh, days and times. Right. So it's, you know, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday um, to to avoid, uh, I guess, uh, melting the bread and butter, as it were, of BA's uh, transatlantic routes, which is that sort of club world business class on the high demand business class days.
1: Yes, it's the, they're all pretty much, as you say, um, midweek fares, which really doesn't appeal to business travellers or necessarily leisure travellers. But they also have a restriction on having to stay a Saturday night or seven days normally, which is definitely more on the leisure side. But I think most people, um, the leisure travellers, can work with it if you if it's cheap enough. Let's face it, you're gonna gonna travel on a Tuesday rather than a Saturday if it actually saves you a thousand pounds.
0: Yeah, and and I think that a lot of this is also different by um, aging demographics. Um, you know, you have baby boomers sort of uh, ending up, you know, in the retirement stage of their lives right now. Um, lots of them will have flown extensively in there uh, during their careers, and you know, I know my parents um, having flown internationally a lot of it in economy. Um, you know, once they reach their retirement age, they said, actually, we're not going to do long-haul economy for holidays anymore you know we we, we, we prioritize a bit of comfort and a bit of relaxation um and a good night's sleep uh, rather than you know when we were young uh, sitting up all night and in an in, in in economy class chair
1: i think you're right there's de- definitely um in the retirement sort of sector there's definitely a big push towards uh, more premium travel because people you know they have have their pension now and they think well we've got we've got the time we can fly whenever we want we can get a good fare and you know I don't want to suffer economy uh, and once the problem, once, once you actually get into business class, you never want to go back. That's the thing. <laughs> you can't go back to economy after that. Um, but I think the other thing that's, that's influencing a lot, and I would see this, say this given my job, is, is actually the internet and bloggers uh, and places like Flyertalk. Because the fares are much more visible nowadays, you can see that you can get a much cheaper fare. Um, whereas before, people wouldn't have even thought about business class. They just would have assumed it was too expensive.
0: Yeah, and I I find that really interesting in terms of if you are, you know, one of the mobile, vocal, and social passengers that that we talk about all the time on RGN, um, you can get an incredible deal. Um, But I also wonder if, if you know that you can get a £1,200, £1,400 return flight to the States, does that take out some of the, um, I guess, the, the more price sensitive end of the market, who perhaps you know, might have been willing to pay a little bit more, um uh, uh, and then they think, oh well actually no, I you know, business class is really only worth fourteen hundred pounds, rather than you know, before it might have been two or three thousand.
1: Yeah, I think, I think you're right there. It's it's uh, influencing some behaviour. But I think there is also a different segment of the market that actually do want to pay more. And I think this is where British Airways have, have been playing a bit of a dangerous game in that people are very savvy, savvy nowadays. You know, I think the average is something like people will read at least three reviews before buying any travel products. So people will look at reviews of business class and they will see that, for example, Qatar has really good seats and they will say, right, I will pay the extra because actually, you know, to me, it's it's more value for money to pay a bit extra and actually get a really good product.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I'm I'm working on something right now uh, around the um, the amount of social media and the amount of uh, investment that airlines are making into making social media Instagram worthy, Instagram friendly. Uh, vignettes within their product. I mean, I'm thinking here about that Qatar Airways um, that that little table when you arrive on the plane. It's got that cushion with either "This is my happy place" or "The sky's a wonderful place to be" printed on in a very on-trend gold. Um, you've got your little bricks amenity kit. You've got your hot towel. You've got your welcome drink. You've got their um, lovely uh, fuzzy duvet, um, and and you can create your own little sort of Instagram vignette to sort of share with your uh, to share with your friends or to um, you know pop on your Facebook or or wherever, and I find that really interesting as a, as as a thing that airlines are really starting to design now is to to make shareable moments for, for passengers, um, which which really does help to to boost their their their, their viewing. You know, it's not just uh, trade press anymore.
1: absolutely i think they're reaching people that they probably wouldn't have done before the sort of person that necessarily is on instagram is probably not going to be reading lots of different blogs um because they're probably not you know a frequent frequent traveler enough to bother with it but it's funny you mentioned the qatar pillow because i'm actually sitting here looking at one that says the sky is a wonderful place um because it sits in sits in my office to remind me (laughs) of my lovely q suite experience but yeah i think you're right there's uh, qatar are very very savvy with their social media and. interacting with bloggers so i think p- people like british airways are only just catching on to this and i think they probably need to up up their game a bit more with some of the other airlines
0: yeah absolutely so looking at the seats and the hard product side of things um i ranked them all back in in january on runway Girl network and you can find that uh, find that on the site but the short version is i ranked qantas at the top Followed by um, the Vantage XL product, which is basically the Delta One suites right now. It hasn't really rolled out to anyone else um, in a in a big way yet. Um, then the um, the two herringbones that, that face outwards towards the windows, the Super Diamond and Cirrus. Um, what do you think of those at the top of the, the top of the rank? Do, do, do those match your uh, and your readers' perspectives on on who's running the best business class these days?
1: I think uh, you're pretty spot on with your list, actually. My favourite business class is is Qatar pretty much though there is nobody that has the perfect business class for me. Yet. I still think, still think there's room for improvement. I did the Q suites recently um, at the end of May and I love the overall product. I like all the little touches like the candle on the table. And as you said, the pillow and the privacy, but actually for me, it was a little bit hard. The seat, I actually found the um, super diamond seats more comfortable uh, so it's it's kind of if they could just, just tweak that then I think that would be pretty much perfect but I think as a, an overall product I would put that as number one I had a look through your list actually and I, I pretty much agree with it all I think the only thing that's missing for me there would be the Etihad uh, Business uh, Studio I didn't notice that on the list
0: yeah well it, it comes sort of just under the, the, the top 10 cut off really um, largely because of the f- feeling of space that you get in their old product, which is the um the solstice, which ends up on the ended up as tenth as equal. Um it's that sort of forwards, backwards thing that that maximizes space for the airline, but still it's just that little bit elbow roomy um for me, particularly on the seven eight seven product, um and upstairs on the uh on the A380. Um those 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 smaller cabins and the sort of uh, I guess eight columns of seats, just that little bit um, just not enough uh, generosity of space there for for me compared with some of the other products, but it is a beautiful, beautiful product. Um, they did a great job with that um, group of design houses in the in the consortium that they put together um, and yeah i I'd, I'd, I'd certainly uh, uh, pick that to travel in any day.
1: Yeah, it's, it's actually one of my favourites. I would probably put it on a par for me with the Super Diamond and the Cirrus. I think because of the extra privacy, that's that's why I rank it highly. If you get one of the the seats that uh, are a window seat with a table uh, on the aisle side, it feels very private. Um, and I think all the little design touches, like the lights with the lattice work on it, it's just a really attractive product.
0: Yeah, no, it, the, the, definitely on design. Um, and you're absolutely right. If you do get one of those seats that that has the extra uh, the extra privacy, so if you've got the, the the little side table between you and the aisle, it's great. Um, but one of the problems with that is that that's only in some of the seats in the cabin, um, and I call this the the, the zero sum game, right? So there's only a few seats in the cabin um, that have that extra privacy, and if you aren't booking far enough in advance, or um, your seat gets moved by the airline at the last minute, um, you don't really have any recourse to that. You know, if, and and I've seen. Um, you know, in that sort of staggered seating, um, I've seen <laughs> flight attendants literally go flying. Um, one tripped over the, uh, the, the, the foot sticking out into the aisle of someone in front of me. Yeah. Uh, fortunately she wasn't carrying anything at the time. Um, uh, but I could just imagine that, you know, with a tray of glasses or something raining through the cabin. Um, so yeah, that's the, that that zero something is, 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 is what you're, if you get one of those good seats, they're great. But if you don't, it's, it, it really does pull down the rating for me. Um, because you can't always count on on, on getting one of the good ones.
1: Yeah, I think that's very true. And I think that's that's how British Airways manage to keep a lot of their frequent flyers. So myself being gold, it means that I can nearly always select one of the more premium seats, for example, that are on the upper deck of the 747. There are several seats where you don't climb over anyone. They don't climb over you and you have good privacy in a window seat. So for me, it actually makes British Airways a much better product than it might be for somebody who has just left it to online checking because they have no status. And I, I think that's quite clever to actually um give your frequent travelers something um that's quite a big perk where they can get those really good seats you're rewarding the people that are your best customers
0: yeah what is it 62 or 64 a and k isn't it those are my 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 personal favorites there
1: yeah me too that's that's the ones i go for. (laughs) similar on the a380 there's a couple of seats that that are very similar to that
0: yeah yeah so overall then michelle what is your favorite business class
1: Uh, It's it's definitely Qatar. I think not just because they do some excellent deals, which there's there's still a few around of, but it's been a lot less recently. But I think it's just the the whole product uh, in the air. I think on the ground, it's not always quite as good. The lounges I like, but um, in the air, there's a lot of attention to detail. Um, The cabin crew are consistent, which I think is quite often a problem with other airlines. I find Qatar the most consistent out of all the airlines I've flown on. Um, And I've flown with Qatar quite a lot. I think um, their product is pretty consistent that they still have the A330 uh, seats and the old uh, 777 seats, which hopefully they'll get rid of soon and um, then it will be a lot more consistent with mainly the Q-suites. Um, and I think that the food is high quality. It's not as good as some other airlines, but it's consistent quality. You know what you're going to get. And that's what I like is is uh, knowing that it's going to be good and it's going to be consistent. Um, and I think Qatar seems to genuinely want you as a customer, things like the, um Cabin service manager will come up and speak to every passenger. That's quite rare in business class. And um, the person serving you comes up and introduces themselves and talks a little bit about the flight. It's all those sort of personal touches that make it for me.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it's—I it's, find it so interesting what you say about the the old A330 and uh, and triple seven seats, which is the uh, the old BE Aerospace now Rockwell Collins uh, mini pod seat, um, which is a a you know, simple uh, fully flat bed um, in a 222 on the A330, um, and it it is 222 on the 777 as well. Um, I was with a group of um, non-expert aviation people um on a media trip uh, late last year to to Chiang Mai in Thailand as it happens and it was a lot of uh, um instagram folks it was um a lot of uh, business reporters and a few um travel reporters who were very much on the travel side and not on the aviation side and we flew out to Chiang Mai on one of the newly outfitted A330s which has the Rockwell Collins diamond. that's what you'll find in um you know uh, most airlines uh, 757s for example, um, who have a, a pointy end product. It's a it's a staggered seat, but it, the 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 stagger, uh, well the offset really, means that you don't have as much space between you and the um, and the screen in front. But on the return, it was the uh, the mini pod seat, and I found it fascinating that without fail, everyone was like, this seat is so spacious, it's amazing because there's nothing between you and the seat back at, at the at the the foot of your stretched out bed. And I, I thought that was really interesting. All of us uh, who, who, who live and breathe seats think, oh, just a fully flat bed. It's not a, not a stag or anything. And, and, you know, it's, it's, it's not the best. But actually, people see the amount of room and they go, wow. Um, and, and I was, that was, that, that was really fascinating to me, um, how people, um, uh, how people see things differently and how those of us who who who, as i say live and breathe this stuff um often often see things a little bit differently to 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 your average uh average traveler even experienced and seasoned ones
1: yes i think i think you're right there and also a lot of it is about your traveling style so personally i travel a lot solo so that's why i really don't like the triple seven seats because it's too too two um and you have to climb over somebody which i really hate or you get an aisle seat which i hate as well because i like to look out of the window um but you know for somebody in a couple then it's absolutely perfect for them so it it just depends on what your personal preference is but i actually quite like those seats in terms of comfort they're just i think you get used to a certain standard of seat and when when you go back to something that's a bit dated it it doesn't seem quite as as um exciting i think
0: yeah yeah absolutely um, moving on to something a little bit less dated you were on the new iberia a350 recently weren't you but not on the long haul
1: uh, no they've been uh doing some pilot and crew training between uh, london and madrid for the last couple of weeks i think it's just just finished um at the beginning of the week and uh started the new york service so it gave quite a few of the the blogging community a chance to try it out um before it actually went into service and uh, i was very impressed actually
0: Yeah, so that's the uh, Stellia Solstice, uh, the latest generation of that um, good old uh, staggered seat, one of the ones that that, that really kicked off the staggered revolution. Um, How has it changed compared with Iberia's previous uh, business class seat?
1: It's definitely a step up. I think the main difference for me was the width of the seat. They have increased it and it was really, really noticeable other than probably Singapore it felt like one of the widest seats I've sat in in business class and I really like that certainly lying down you don't feel like if you're a side sleeper like me you don't feel like you're kind of hanging over the edge when you're on your side so it was a a big step up the screen size is also bigger than the the previous version as well Um, and obviously it's better technology it was very clear and I think um, the handheld remote was actually one of the best I've used as well it was very responsive it didn't get that lag you get with a lot of them and it was very simple to use so uh the table was another thing that i noticed where it was uh, very easy to maneuver it so if you wanted to get out during the meal service you could actually push it out of the way which is one of my pet hates on other airlines where you can't actually get up you're kind of trapped until they come and take your tray away
0: yeah yeah absolutely um and i can't help but thinking that this might be one of the seats that british airways could potentially use um to replace its current uh, product which is uh, produced by rockwell collins um if memory serves and uh you, you know in style really dates back to about 2000 when it introduced it um by in the zodiac aerospace mohawk and Mohawk referring to the um, self- stowing fabric fan between the seats. Um, it then evolved in two thousand and six to the to what we see today roughly with the um, sort of translucent divider. Um, do you think that that would work for for the b a customer market?
1: I think it could potentially it certainly has most of the things that um, they have identified that is missing from the current product Alex Cruz has talked about his list of I think it's about 10 or 13 different things on the list that the new seat has to fulfill with privacy and um, more storage space and a l access being the top one so it, it ticks all those boxes apart from maybe the storage I did notice before takeoff there wasn't really anywhere to put things like a laptop um, that you were allowed to leave them there but it would fulfill that but I don't I don't think that's what they will do because I don't think it's um, groundbreaking enough. That's my feeling, having heard um, Alex Cruz talk about the new seats.
0: Yeah, so you reckon they'll come up with something entirely new for their for the, for their fleet-wide business class? Do you?
1: I think they will I I think you know Alex is a smart guy he's identified that they have gone you know a long way behind the rest of the market and I think with the lateness uh, of the new product they need to do something really groundbreaking that's going to not age because at the moment obviously they're they're almost two generations behind with the likes of the suites with Delta and um, Qatar so I think they might go for something in that sort of area is is my guess maybe not a full Q suite but something with a lot more privacy that quite different um, because I think that's what they needed to attract people back they've had a lot of bad publicity in the last couple of years they need a real wow factor in my opinion and certainly having heard rumors uh, on things like FlyTalk, talk the rumor is that it will be something similar to a Q suite but with more of a British Airways feel to it
0: yeah yeah and, and that, that would make a lot of sense I don't think you can lay any claim to be a premium airline these days and not be installing suites in your in your business class. I think that that, that bar has just been raised, um, and and I think it's really interesting to see what 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 the reaction is from seat makers. Um, I was at the aircraft interiors expo this year, um, and uh, with apologies to Beyonce, it seemed very much if you liked it, then you should have put a door on it, um, <laughs> simply because you know everyone was showing an option with oh yes, and you can bolt on a door as well. Um, that, that stellar product that we were just talking about on Iberia, they have an option where you can stick a door on that. Um, and that will work on your A350 and your 777. But once you start going as narrow as a 787 or an A330, that then really starts asking some questions about, do you have that extra two, three inches for a door um, to add to an existing product? Or do you have to do something like Zodiac Aerospace was doing, which was creating a, a fabric uh, divider that sort of pulls out from the from the seat side and that was a really interesting uh a really interesting thought not least because um obviously singapore airlines uh debuted the the suite in modern times 11 years ago with the uh with the A380 um and their dividers there were fabric too um if you, you if you remember the the doors themselves are, are, are thermoplastic and metal and clothes but the, the the little windowed parts of the of the doors are are fabric and I found that a really interesting full circle for, for, for premium, uh, premium products in, in just, you know, in less than 10 years. Um, for us to have gone from sweets being from first class to sweets being for, for business class. Um, what's your take? Can can BA do something that isn't a suite? Or, or do they have to do something um, that, that's really properly got a door on it?
1: I think they could get away without, without a door because actually I think there's probably about a quarter of people don't like the idea of a suite. I hear the comment that, it must be very claustrophobic quite quite regularly for my readers um but i don't find it claustrophobic at all and i don't particularly like small and enclosed spaces um so they could do something that's more of more of a suite but without the actual door on it um i think the other the interesting thing for me is more about the density as well because at the moment they've got a very dense business class with the 242 uh, configuration and can they actually afford to reduce that certainly they've talked about um reducing the size of first class to accommodate it but it'll be very interesting to see what density they go for because um you know the, the bottom line is they need to make money out of it
0: well exactly i mean i don't think you can start you can be offering 1200 1400 pound business class returns if you've got a, a less dense product for example
1: i'm pretty sure that uh, they will have to put the prices up which is the downside to it i don't think they'll be able to keep offering these sort of fares but then you know that's that's the price you pay for a better product
0: well exactly um, and of course, that first class question is a really interesting one because it feels almost as if BA has painted itself into a corner um, with its first class product um, because it is essentially a, an outward facing herringbone um, that, that, like most airlines, uh, offer in, in in business class in terms of that level of product. Um, where can BA go in the context of the current first class? I mean, do they have to upgrade it if they um, if they go? to a, to a, a, more private product with directile access in business. Or, or does it, does, does that mean the end of first class?
1: I think it's a really interesting question because uh, like business class, there's been a lot of talk about is first class on the way out. And then, of course, Singapore and uh, Emirates introduced their new, very uh, fancy suites. And, and that pretty much answers the question for me. I think it's, it's definitely reducing. British Airways have said that they're going to reduce the number of first class seats as they've already started to do on some routes. And I think that's right, because if you actually look at the loads, a lot of the time, there's not actually that many fare paying passengers and mainly people that are on redemption tickets and obviously you know they make some money on that but not not the sort of level you need to maintain first class they certainly need to improve it and i think they've realized that already just with the introducing of the white company bedding in business class they've already got a product there that's pretty much as good as the first offering so they need to start doing something fairly quickly and um, alex again has said that he needs needs to improve the first class product with the improvements in in club currently and i think they're going to go down the um, emirates or Singapore type uh, pr- very premium product I think they'll reduce the number of seats dramatically um, stop doing it on a lot of routes um, and actually have a really ultra premium product probably some sort of suite with the door um, and hopefully they'll uh, it- upgrade the onboard offering because I think although it's good you know you have the Laurent Perrier Grand Siècle Claire and the food is okay but it's nowhere near the, the sort of level of, of a lot of the airlines that have the caviar and they have the crew and, you know, a lot of them have been doing um, small batches of very premium champagnes, which is nice to see. It's something a little bit special. And I think that's where Brigere is missing that special touch. It's all a bit, um, what's the word I'm looking for? All, all a bit pedestrian, I think, for first class. It doesn't have that wow factor.
0: Yeah, and and you know, look, realizing that we are um, talking very much about how our, our diamond shoes are too tight and RTR is a pinching here, um, I, I think you're right. That pedestrian um, feel is is particularly present in the in in the soft product. Um, the you know it's it's uh, solidly British the food, um, and some of that's fine, right? Some of that's you know, some of it's got some interesting modern British stuff, um, but there's just not enough innovation for me. Um, there's not enough um, partnering with with solid British food brands either. Um, you know whether that's uh, celebrity chefs or whether that's producers. Um, and no, I, I also just wrote recently in, in upfront about BA's new champagnes. Um, you know there's there's um, six of them, of which uh, four are in the first class branding. Um, and you know on on board you've got Grand Siècle, which is which is fine, but it is still it's not one of those. Very top vintage champagnes. Um, and you know, you have airlines that, that, uh, that they're competing with offering, you know, proper vintage Prestige Cuvée champagne. Um, and I'm just, I, I can't help but think that BA, which is, which comes from the world's largest champagne market, which is the UK, um, and is one of the world's largest buyers of champagne they have the expertise and they have the access to the market to do that kind of curation that you're talking about um which other airlines do very successfully lufthansa um for all its flaws um has a very interesting revolving champagne offering in first class uh, which is great um the japanese airlines do too um, I, i've been impressed by the, the selections on both JAL and ana um and of course you know in 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 the middle east you you, you despite the, um, you know, the, the the cultural sensitivities about that, um, there's uh, good champagne poured frequently um, on all of those airlines. Uh, and I, I think that BA is is missing a trick in applying its knowledge and applying its experience to, and, and indeed it's, its brand heritage, to really create a, a, a feeling of a customised signature experience um, rather than the, rather than, well, it was very cookie cutter kind of first-class experience now
1: yes and i think um part of the problem is the sheer number of seats and the fact that you've got a lot of people in the cabin that are actually on avios redemptions or upgrades with vouchers etc so i don't think at the moment they could actually afford to do that and offer the really ultra premium uh, champagnes and wines but i think if they go down the route that, that i suspect they will and reduce it uh to a much more uh small and premium bespoke type product i think that's the time it they will start to look at the uh, onboard offerings with the champagne and wine because they'll be able to afford to, you know, they'll be able to charge a premium price compared with what, what they've been charging recently. Um, and they will have smaller numbers of people that will mean, you know, they can actually source some of the, the smaller, smaller um, vintages and, um, And do that that more premium feel to the the wine list, as you say, at the moment is definitely a bit cookie cutter, though I am pleased to see that they're actually offering English sparkling wines because personally speaking, I think a lot of them are just as good as champagne.
0: Yeah, well, and and certainly, you know, talking in terms of wines, that's that's very much true. Um, With climate change, uh, the actual Champagne region itself is getting hotter. And so that's producing some problems in terms of um, producing wines in the same style as previously. Um, And all the restrictions about which grapes you can get and from where, um, very much an interesting um uh, an interesting proposition um and and some of those are excellent you I know mean, virgin atlantic cracked open a few in business class a few years back um and they were really really good um and and sometimes what what they lack in i guess complexity is not that much of a downside in the air in particular um you know you don't want it to be too nutty too biscuity in the air you want some of those sort of fresh floral fruity scents um which which i've which i you know which i love in the air um that works really well
1: yeah i totally agree i'm a big big fan of uh, english sparkling wine mainly because i live in in one of the w- wine regions i'm uh, very close to uh, in hampshire to so several vineyards and i actually prefer english sparkling wine when i'm flying for exactly the reasons you say it's it's um i think more more refreshing you could you feel like you'd have a couple of glasses without it starting to get a bit cloying with the more complex uh, french champagnes
0: yeah it's it's an excellent uh, excellent sipping bubbles I think is the, is the is the general rule um, but um, I, I and I think that one of the questions that you end up asking is how do you design the in flight menu to take advantage of that um, you know what can you do in terms of uh, offering something' that's a little bit less a little bit lighter a little bit fresher um, that, that doesn't have a sort of heavy um, uh, too much of a heavy source to it for example um, that that will really work for that um
1: yeah, and I think I think the the difficulty with it is there's a lot of people that fly first class that still expect those traditional heavier dishes. Yeah. But they need to cater for a, a newer class of traveller that's, uh, you know, wants something lighter in the air and doesn't doesn't um, want to have necessarily the over-the-top over type traditional uh, first class, wants something a bit lighter but a bit special. And I think British Airways did get there for me when they had the A380 initially. They did a really good tasting menu mm-hmm. that was, uh, you know, excellent. And you could you didn't have to have the whole thing. If you wanted, you could pick and choose. But they're all quite small, beautifully presented, generally quite light, and that suited me perfectly. Because you could just have as much or as little as you wanted, and I thought that was a real shame that went. And I hope maybe when the, if they introduce a new first, that they'll bring that back.
0: Yeah, I mean that's always been a big, uh, a big thing in Qantas first class on the A380. Has been the availability of that tasting menu on daytime flights. Um, you know, those are some long flights, and it really helps to um, to both solidify the the, the I guess the, the product offering in first class and you know what what the what the promise is there, but also just to you know. It, it helps us showcase you and your airline and the way that your airline's brand works with your um, country brand as a tourism destination, uh, and that's That, that is also yeah, that's really priceless, um, and that's something I think that that BA is going to need to do um, in in future years. Is is really figure out just how British BA wants to be. Um, but if we think about first class, where does it go from here? Does it become? A lounge brand, which, you know, in many ways, um, I guess it, it is in some in some cases at the moment. So, you know, your, your British Airways first lounge in um, Heathrow Terminal 5 isn't for BA first class passengers. Um, I see a number of airlines, um, you know, looking at this in terms of, well, OK, what we will offer as a first class uh, lounge for our few remaining first class passengers on a few remaining first class flights is now our either ultra elite or high elite Uh, frequent flyer lounge is 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 that what you're seeing as well
1: yeah i think if you look at um, the american airlines for example with their dining areas that are just for first passengers um i think that's that's where it's heading in that you have something that's just for your elites, because um you know your your gold level you don't necessarily want to have uh, that many people in a proper first class lounge so you need that kind of two levels something for the the gold level and then something for people that are actually in first that's a lot more intimate um, and can afford to offer the really premium products that you wouldn't necessarily want to offer in something like the BA first lounge at Heathrow which is absolutely enormous and has a you know a fair few hundred people in it you just couldn't afford to do that.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and I mean, you, you know, we've seen other airlines do this. Singapore Airlines has both the first class lounge and the private room, which is um, very exclusive in in Singapore Changi. Um, you know, it's 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 by no means the first one to do that, but I think that if it does that, what does it need to offer to, to passengers? Because the Concorde room, you know, is 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 hitting its tenth year in uh, Heathrow Terminal Five at the moment. Um, and of course, it doesn't offer a concord room when it's Terminal Three flights, of which there still are, um, you know, a, a few long haul options there. What, what does it need to do for to, to really make a a, a first class uh, lounge for first class passengers versus an upgraded lounge for its top tier frequent flyers?
1: Well, I think for me, um, having been in uh, you know the uh, Qatar one and the Etihad one, um, a lot of it is is about. Um, Getting what you want when you want it, and I think that's sometimes where British Airways falls down a bit, particularly with spa appointments, for example, in that you have to book them a long time in advance. Um, so when a first-class passenger turns up, you can go to the spa and there's no appointment. Again, we're you know first-world problems, but you've paid thousands of pounds for a first-class product, and then you get there and you can't actually get the things that you were looking forward to. So I think making sure it's it's on demand and you have enough staff to actually get people what they want. Uh, I think the thing. Things like the cabanas that uh, British Airways have, having something like that that's a private room, ideally for me, with some sort of um, sleeping area or a chaise longue or something where you can actually lie down in a personal bathroom, something like um, the cafe um Bars that you get that you can have a soak in that's always nice um, and the dining it needs to be a proper restaurant atmosphere you know a decent menu plenty of choice I think that's that's somewhere that a lot of them fall down on um, and of course the, the premium champagnes and premium wines
0: yeah yeah absolutely um, those those private areas are fantastic um, I, I always remember this there's one redeeming feature to the air China lounge in um, in Shanghai That, uh, which is basically you've got, um, these little sleeping rooms which have their own individually controllable air conditioner. Um, because Shanghai can be incredibly sticky um, and it can be a bit of a, a, a bit of a madhouse at the airport and um, there's not a lot of uh, priority processing and there are um, numerous screenings because uh, China has particular additional screenings for uh, lithium batteries or, or did the last time I was flying through um, and so you get to the lounge and it's it's quite an open lounge um, so it's a bit noisy and there's, there's, it's not super premium but just being able to pop into a little room even if it's for 10 15 20 minutes put the air conditioner on blast um, perhaps even have a change of clothes um, and just have a little nap a little bit of quiet incredibly refreshing um, and I think that that's going to be something that airlines in premium classes can really offer to, to make a difference um, you know, I, I really think that that's, that's a big differentiator that they, that they can provide um, as part of their, uh, as part of their offering you know a little bit of peace and quiet is something that a lot of people are lacking these days uh, particularly in airports.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. I think, it's, you know, unless you've got a suite on on board the flight, um, you you do lack that privacy. I think it's, it's if you're very tired and you just want to lie down and close your eyes, you don't want to be in the middle of a lounge. You want to have a private space. Um, or if you're trying to work for example Um, I think the the problem um, with a lot of the airlines is actually having enough space in airports a lot of um, the airport lounge companies are struggling currently to actually have enough space to cater for all the people that want to come in so whether they can actually afford to do that is a different matter because then you're giving up space in the general lounge area as a result so it's an interesting dilemma.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and what I'm sure that we'll be talking about in, in future conversations. Um, but that's it for today. Uh, listeners, we hope you enjoyed it. And we're always keen to find out what you think. Please feel free to email me at john at runwaygirlnetwork.com with any suggestions at all. Um, thank you to our guest, Michelle Robson. Where can our listeners find you, Michelle?
1: So my website is called Turning Left for Less. So www.turningleftforless.com And I'm also on uh, all the social media, Twitter, Facebook, etc. under the same name.
0: Excellent. As ever, listeners, you can find me on Twitter at That John and everything from RGN on Twitter at runwaygirl And of course, at RunwayGirlNetwork.com. If you're enjoying these conversations, please leave a rating and review wherever you get your podcasts. And thanks for listening.